Hello and welcome to the universe. I'm your host, Peter Cleary, and each week I'll be guiding you through everything you need to know about starting at the University of Adelaide with the help from some very special guests. Your place is here, your time is now. Let's find out how to make it happen. We acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on, and the land on which the University of Adelaide's campuses at North Terrace, Waite and Roseworthy are located. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. Hello and welcome to the universe. It's your host Peter Cleary back again for another episode of our wonderful podcast and we are very lucky today to have a very special guest by the name of Tom Haju. He is the director of the CFL Institute here at the University of Adelaide. So we're going to have a chat to him today about his experiences. So welcome Tom. Oh, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Lovely to have you. It really, really is. Um, so I guess to start with for our listeners, are you able to maybe introduce yourself, have a chat about your background, your career and how you've ended up at the University of Valley? Sure. Um, well, my career is a little bit labyrinthian. Um, <laughs> Love that, yeah. <laughs> uh, a number of years ago, I uh, when I was working on my PhD at Princeton University, um, I ended up moving to New York City and by a series of coincidences ended up creating one of the biggest music production companies in the world. <laughs> uh, what an accident! It was a happy accident. Um, but uh, the company was really focusing on music and media per se and for better or for worse played a role in shaping the way in which music and media work together today. So previous to my company's existence, music and media was a fairly linear, almost like a process of watching uh, a play or, or, or a radio with pictures, for example. It was quite a linear process. So, for example, when MTV was starting out, it was quite linear. There was a VJ, the person would introduce something, then you'd see a music video. The music video was fairly straightforward, etc. And the television commercials are like that, and movies were like that, etc. And so what we basically did was we appropriated the aesthetics of the avant-garde, primarily the work of Duchamp and the Futurists from the early 1900s, and brought that into pop culture. And what that essentially created was a sort of a non-linear cut-up experience, which is kind of the way we consume media today. So it was a very intentional act, um, but what happened as a result of it was you started to get a lot of unexpected, interesting outputs, and it was much quicker and cheaper and easier to do than actually working in a very linear way. So we basically built a better mousetrap for lack description. <laughs> but at any one time, even today, there is my, my company's music playing somewhere. If you did a Google search right now for my name or Tom Andy, you'll see there's always somebody chattering. About I was going to say, are we going to yeah. name drop the company? I want to yeah, know. It's called Tom. It started out as Tom and Andy because I'm Tom and mm -hmm. my partner from Princeton was Andy. And um, 
we didn't really expect the company to get so big. And people in New York were just referring to these two guys, Tom and Andy. But when you've got over 100 people making music, it's still very odd that the company ended up just being called Tom and Andy. Another thing that was interesting was we had a friend of ours in advertising who um, made a logo for us. And the logo ended up winning all these awards. <laughs> time with yeah. General Express for like the best logo in the world, right? Wow. At that time. Yeah. So it's the Tom and Andy name just stuck. We couldn't get rid of it in a way, no matter how hard we tried. So it was a little odd. Yeah. Um, uh, simultaneously with that, I've always had a hand in technology. And so um, my company and I have several patents in, in a lot of sort of disruptive spaces like artificial intelligence and content creation. Um, uh, another area is called digital wayfinding, which happens to essentially use mobile connectivity and, um, and media and engagement, essentially gamification in large environments, large live environments. And uh, most recently have been working quite aggressively in network infrastructure protocols in and around the implications of identity and trust, specifically around 5G, but also interoperably with different networks that exist and kind of harm, trying to harmonize them. So it's fairly, fairly broad and, and um, strange. I think you are a walking, talking example of some of the questions that I get asked from future students where they say, I have this interest in creativity and media yeah. and music and things yeah. like that. So I just wanted to get to that. So, yeah, so, and so that's really what I do here at the university, right? So um, my background is really in innovation, entrepreneurship, and creativity. And so I've been able to walk that talk for a long time. And so what I've been doing at the University of Adelaide um, is focusing on essentially three um, core ideas. One, one are a series of tactics around engagement, one is around research, and one is around teaching and learning. Uh, and so in the context of learning and teaching, um, I teach a number of, of things <laughs> in and around what I just talked Walk about. The talk, I, yeah. I, but, but the key here is, is that I do it experientially. So I, my little mnemonic that I created is if you can Google it, I don't teach it. Right? So it's all about <laughs> Must be cutting edge. It's, yeah. no, it's just all about the doing, right? <laughs> because it's great that we can get a lot of information on Google and that we take in information by reading articles and stuff, but it's quite different when you have to do something and the way in which you process that information in your brain and your body and one develops a different type of relationship by the doing. Mm -hmm. So my emphasis is a lot on doing and experiencing and that doing and experiencing is at the intersection of creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship. I think it's such Does that make a, any sense? Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, I think it's one of those things that people don't necessarily connect together without having someone explain it to the extent yeah. that you have. But. Well, I've been lucky because I really started thinking about these things when I was your age or even younger. Um, <laughs> Probably I, younger. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so when I was at Princeton, I started coming up with these ideas. And what I noticed was I was making music that was actually completely inappropriate for the concert hall. Mm, yeah. So um, probably the most famous piece. Does that step on people's toes at a Princeton level? I mean, 
Well, yeah, it was a really yeah. unusual situation, except for obviously the professors who thought it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. Because they thought it was very interesting because it was challenging these fundamental ideas about the concert hall and the politics around the concert hall and what it means to put music in different contexts and how that music sh is shaped by the context and how the music shapes the context itself. So, for example, um, probably the most egregious example I can think of was after a very long piece by a computer music composer called Barry Verko, um, which was a very long piece for violin and tape, um, I had a piece that was 30 seconds long. It was like a 30 second long blast of noise. And nobody really knew what to do with that, right? <laughs> Especially if I've just sat through something yeah, so extensive. Yeah, the poor violinist was like, worked so hard, and sweating, <laughs> it's like a big virtuosic thing, and this just blast of noise comes on. Mm -hmm. uh, but that blast of noise actually ended up being used in the first MTV's music, music video awards. Right. And there it worked very well, yeah. right? Because that was an area that hadn't really been defined yet, and that became one of the sort of canvas moments in which these nonlinear cut-ups of music and sound and visual images started to get pieced together and started to help to shape that larger narrative that then got picked up by people like Oliver Stone and JFK and Natural Born Killers and then got picked mm -hmm. up by U2 and Jenny Holzer on their work and stuff like that. So it was a little idea but that little idea actually, ironically, is very much connected to the historicity of art and aesthetics. So um, not just Burroughs' work in cut-ups, which was quite well-known in Naked Launch and some of his writings, but in this earlier Dada's movement, it was really interesting is when I was making these little pieces of music, I was calling them blasts. And what I discovered later was the work that these poets and writers were doing in France were called Blasts. Yeah. They had a magazine called Blast. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. So it was really serendipitous. Yeah, very much so. It sounds like it. Now, you didn't, I didn't answer your question, <laughs> which was, how did I get here? Yeah. Right? Well, especially with the name dropping of the Princeton and things like that. I yeah. mean, it's a big leap from America to Yeah. Australia. Well, it's going to sound even weirder, but what happened was I actually did an economic analysis of the world. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can see how that's worked into this storyline of your career. As, as one does. Um, and um, what I came up with was a little, again, it's sort of a mnemonic, which was that Australia will become the Switzerland of the 21st century. Right? <laughs> and, of course, nobody believed me. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was a fairly big challenge to uh, convince my wife to move from Santa Barbara Mm -hmm. um, because our life was quite good there. However, um, what happened was I received a Distinguished Talent visa, which they only give to a few people in the whole world. So Steve Wozniak has one from Apple Computer. Okay, so yeah. He now lives in Tasmania. And, you know, the great thing about this Distinguished Talent visa is um, it's a direct path to citizenship. It is an instant permanent residency visa. There's no expectations oh, on you yeah once you're here you can do whatever you want but of course typically people that receive these um i mean it really is a very short list of requirements you just have to be like the best in the world at something mm -hmm. you know and so those people tend to be type a personalities <laughs> right? and they tend to 
just do stuff, mm -hmm. right? So like sitting around is not an option. Not an option. You've got to prove, it, prove yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it comes from existential dread, but that's another subject. <laughs> um, so what happened was um, we traveled all over Australia, and I gave a series of lectures on, um, well, on creative entrepreneurship and um, and divergent thinking and and um, and design thinking and this sort of thing. And we used that uh, opportunity to explore Australia. And um, it's a very big country, first of all. I'll just start off with that. <laughs> it kind of ended up being like this um, ridiculous 25 talks in 20 days across wow. the whole country. It literally, I mean, I was beat by the end of mm -hmm. it. We ended up going to Kangaroo Island, just vegetating, <laughs> yeah. recovering. Good but place to choose to do good, that. Yeah, but what happened was I was actually very much attracted to Mediterranean climate. So the two places that really interested us was the Adelaide area, specifically the Florio Peninsula and Margaret River. And my idea was just to keep running my companies mm -hmm. in New York and LA. At that time, I was really focused on LA, as I had done from Santa Barbara. Um, because Santa Barbara is about two hours from LA. So I figured out two hours from LA, 14 Time hours. Time zone, yeah. 14 <laughs> hours from LA. You know, apart from the fact that the weather is inverted, the climate is completely mm -hmm. different, you know, the seasons. But other than that, it seemed pretty um, doable. Uh, and so we fell in love with the Florio Peninsula. And it also just seemed a lot more practical. You know, when you're in Margaret River, you're three hours from Perth, and Perth is closer to India than it is to, like, you know, <laughs> Sydney, yeah, you really feel like you're at the very edge of the Western world, mm -hmm. that part of the world. So we ended up in Florida, and um, what happened was I actually became the chief innovator for South Australia. It was kind of again sort of serendipitous. Helped create the first gigabit city in Australia and connect Australia to the U.S. Ignite gigabit smart city community in the U.S. We went to the White House became the first city to do this, et cetera. And in that whole process, I then um, became a professor here. So um, I've just been very grateful to be able to leverage these experiences that I've had in New York and Los Angeles and bring those um, learnings here to be able to transfer some of these skills to uh, students here and to the community. Absolutely. I think sometimes people who live and study here in Adelaide feel like that is the world and they don't have that global experience yeah. because Adelaide is a comfortable place to live. So having someone like you who's got that experience to kind of bring that back and be like, there is more out there to experience. I mean, obviously you can always come back to Adelaide and it is a beautiful place to yeah. live. But to be able to get a little bit of a taste of the experiences that are out there. Well, I think two things. First, to that point, I think certainly when Elon Musk came, um, that was a kind of a archetypal moment. Um, not necessarily because Elon Musk came per se, but rather <laughs> that he's got a Twitter feed of 13 million users who are in exactly that right demographic, the demographic that I refer to as the cultural creatives. Yeah. And these are people who are entrepreneurial who are helping to shape uh, the fourth industrial revolution and the way that, that technology and innovation is unfolding. I also wanted just to go back to answer the question, just to finish up this other thread that was <laughs> hanging in the air, yeah. which was that um, in April of 29th of 2019, visualcapitalist.com uh, released an infographic that shows the millionaire migration map 
mm-hmm. for the last four years in a row. Guess where most of the millionaires in the world are moving to? I'm going to say Australia. Correct. <laughs> Good guess. So, in fact, Australia is, in fact, in a sense, the Switzerland already, the Switzerland of the 21st century. So all so that analysis all those, was right. All that data were I was going to tell those people that thought that you were wrong, well, eating their words I right can now. tell you, I've had a lot of people call me to... Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, it takes a pretty big person to admit that they might have made a mistake. So oh, absolutely. They out I, I make time. mistakes all the time. In fact, when I don't make mistakes, I start getting really nervous because mm-hmm. I know a really what big one doing? is coming. <laughs> a really big one is going to happen soon. <laughs> Um, just to recap that entire, I guess, that entire answer to the question, it sounds yeah. very serendipitous. I think that... Well, it was a combination of things, right? Much. The climate, the food and wine, um, the, uh, the university's reputation and the work that they've done here historically, and also the new work that has been done. So, for example, the Machine Learning Institute is established here. It's one of the top uh, places in the world for visual AI ranked number two or number three in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of great research going on here. And what I wanted to bring to that was divergent thinking and entrepreneurial, uh, and entrepreneurially thinking and essentially what I refer to as creative entrepreneurship. To bring that piece to the research and skills that the university already has. And the reason why that's important is because if you look at, for example, the workforce skills of the future, according to the World Economic Forum, creativity has gone from 2015 as the 10th most important core competency to number three. Yeah. And for 2020, that's for 2020 and 2022, it's still number three. So it's one of the top three competencies. So we need to be integrating that. Now, the question is why? The reason why is that when you're thinking about strategy and the way to create a strategy in the context of the way in which innovation and technology is moving forward, typically speaking, what people are noticing is that the strategic thinking is not keeping up with the pace of change. And so when you bring people with divergent thinking into that process, essentially creating a broader cross-functional team, what happens is you get better results. So right now, for example, six artists are working at NASA to help get to Mars. That's crazy. Because you need crazy thinking. Yeah, that's exactly That's exactly crazy. Crazy is good. Out of the box is good. So what I do here at the university with regard to learning and teaching is give students permission to think crazy. Love that. (laughs) Give students permission to think crazy. That should maybe be the new slogan for the university. (laughs) (laughs) I think just permission is good because I think students are very well educated, very bright, but they need this permission to to do that. Let me give you an example of what I mean. So I could probably make a case for the fact that SpaceX is essentially Federal Express, Mm -hmm. right? It's Federal Express, but it's going 60 kilometers vertically (laughs) instead of horizontally, Mm -hmm. right? It's going 60 kilometers vertically in you know, as opposed to 8,000 kilometers horizontally. So it's, it's, a, it's the same idea, but it's basically, you know, different axis. Um, but that's not their mission. 
if you look on their mission on their website, their mission is something like to populate the planets and the galaxy with humans. Right? <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And if you end up essentially creating Federal Express that's putting satellites in space, that's great. That that's okay. That's part of that process. But what we refer to in um, in entrepreneurship is you need essentially what's called a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow. I'm feeling very overwhelmed by all of this information already, so I can't imagine what it's like being a student sitting in a class with you and listening to you speak about these kind of things. Um, I guess maybe to move forward in regards to the relationship that you have with the University of Adelaide. Can you tell me a little bit about Creative Revolutionaries? Yeah, sure. So um, Creative Revolutionaries are a series of talks or presentations given by local, national, international leaders who are working in their fields leveraging creativity in some way. In other words, they already have permission. They're already doing crazy things. Mm -hmm. And so typically we try to do things that are firsts. Um, so I don't paint inside the squares really well. I paint really well outside the squares. So for example, um, uh, next week, no, sorry, this week on the 17th of September, we have the second Adelaide Esports Summit. So we did the first one last year. We brought together various people who are working in esports. Um, Nigel Smart, who's the CEO of the uh, Adelaide Crows, started an esports team through the Crows, for example. And there are a number of actual players in Adelaide who are making a living doing esports. So I thought, well, you why are not? literally feeding some of our listeners their dream job right now. <laughs> well, they should get go asked to about it so much. Well, yeah. they should go to this event, and we'll be doing the third one next year. So that that is a growing space. But that's just an example of a local event bringing local people together. Now, I'll give you an example of a, of a national or international figure. So, a national, an international figure would be Laurie Anderson. Laurie Anderson was here in March. She was the first. AI artists and residents, which we can talk about later. Um, but you know, she's given creative revolutionaries talks. Um, so that's that's an example of one of the things uh, that we've done. I could give you another example. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, go for it. So we're working on this initiative around creativity and artificial intelligence, leveraging the Machine Learning Institute. And here the idea is to have several tracks or tactics that sit under the umbrella of creativity and artificial intelligence. So uh, we were actually the first place in the world to create this set of initiatives. Wired Magazine wrote about us in March. Mm -hmm. The first thing that we did was create the first artificial intelligence artist in residence. And Lori Anderson was the first to yeah. do that. We also have a series of podcasts that have just been released called Murmurings. Mm -hmm. And there are curators, artists, uh, gallery owners, uh, essentially, best of breed experts in art who are part of an advisory group who are participating in these dialogues and also choosing the next artist in residence. Um, we're also focusing on this idea that I was speaking about earlier, which is bringing together artificial intelligence engineers and artists mm -hmm. to create new ideas. So we had a hackathon last year, we'll have another one coming up next year, but what can come out of this hackathon, right? Yeah, you could get I don't know, 
uh, an interesting piece of AI art that sits on the wall, but you could also get Spotify. Yeah. You know, I don't distinguish one from the other. To me, it's all part of the same mix. So it's really um, part of that same narrative of permission. So murmurings is something that people might also want to check out. Absolutely. And is that just, I guess, the idea of bringing attention and bringing more, um, I guess, notoriety to the idea of combining the creative industries and artificial intelligence, making well, like, it more No, obvious. it's not just creative industries per se. Yes, creative industry sits underneath that, but who knows what might come out of it. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's it's creating a context essentially to create a supply chain or a funnel from students at the University of Adelaide who can go through this process and ultimately perhaps become artists or create businesses, etc. Uh, going forward, so they can actually shape their own futures and the and the future of Adelaide. And you know, for me, it's very selfish, right? Because I want people to, to create a great life for themselves and for each other. That doesn't sound selfish. That sounds very yeah, kind. Yeah. But yeah, potentially creating the next artist in residence, if that's the case. Or creating the next Spotify. Mm-hmm. Very big dreams. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, now, you're the director of the CFL Institute here at the University of Adelaide. It's something that we do talk about quite a bit, um, but there is, a, I guess, a little bit of mystery surrounding what the CFL Institute is about. Are you able to explain, I guess, the Institute as a whole and maybe your role as the director? Well, as I said, there are three, essentially, pathways. So um, the work around learning and teaching consists of a series of courses that I teach. Um, I'll be teaching, for example, in 2021, the um, the launching of the Bachelor of Creative Arts capstone, which is really in and around these ideas that we've been talking about. But we'll also have the first a festival uh, leveraging all of the creative output of students at the University of Adelaide. Awesome. So that's a new thing. Huh? I think we can mention that. We can always check that out. But we'll be doing that under the umbrella of the Festival of Ideas and Illuminate, which is a new festival that's starting in 2020. I've heard of Illuminate, yeah. so maybe we've got permission yeah. to talk about that as yeah. well. <laughs> so that, that's, that's an example of the kind of thing that I do. I also teach um, a couple of music courses. Mm-hmm. Um, one is in around um, vocational uh information and entrepreneurship or in the music space and the music media space and also a course in music and media which is again very much about doing about making music in the context of media uh, in research i've given you a couple of examples of research already um, but i've also brought a bunch of intellectual property to the university and made that intellectual property available to students to use for free Okay. So it's a little bit of an unusual situation. Sometimes people in Australia go, well, what's in it for you? Like they think I have some sort of an agenda. Spreading joy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So um, this is a, a bunch of IP specifically around digital wayfinding, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So it has to do with network architecture and the ways in which messages are sent between mobile devices and servers and performers. Almost instead of having a... Uh, one-way communication, let's say, between the artist and the audience or the sports team and the audience or whatever, the performer and the audience, it can not only go back and forth, but it can also be orthogonal, essentially creating a massive gamification environment, which, of course, would be great for Adelaide because it's the festival place. So um, I've made that available. 
And then in the context of engagement, I'm kind of giving you a couple of examples. One is around um, creativity and um, artificial intelligence, and the other one is creative revolutionaries. Absolutely. Well, my next question was going to be around the, I guess, the career opportunities available with that music and media combination, but yeah. maybe that's like asking how long is a piece of street? Yeah. It could well, be it, of anything. Yeah, I don't think people really realize that the most amount of content created in the history of the world is being created right now through video and audio content. Sort of like what we're doing now to some degree. Absolutely. So um, because of my background, what I'm able to do is bring media that I've worked on and let students play with it. And what we've done is, um, you know, for example, we'll have a class where we have the opening of a film that I've done, let's say a fairly big film. You know, uh, for example, Resident Evil, which made half a billion dollars. You know, that's your favorite of mine. Big, big yeah. Movie. <laughs> and then what we'll do is we'll have the students each create a track, and then okay. we'll all listen to the track and we'll critique the track. What's good about it? How can it be better? And then at the end, we'll listen to my track. What's good about it? How could it be better? Oh, wow. So we're all part of the same mix. We're all part of the same community. We can yeah. all grow and improve, and we can all learn from each other. That's fantastic that you give students the opportunity to critique you. Absolutely. I feel like that's very unique. <laughs> no, no, I'm very, very open to that because um, you know, I want to get better too. Yeah, absolutely. Has there been anything in those situations that's really slapped you in the face and been like, wow, these students are exactly what we've been looking for in terms of like bringing all of this together and kind of surprising you with their yeah i think in the, in the case of making the, making music some of them made excellent pieces there was one example i think oh i know what we were doing we were doing little mnemonics like mm -hmm. little logo musical logo ideas that go to an image it was actually yeah. the very first class we were doing and mine were, were terrible it was really nice to see uh, how they did a much better job in most many of them did. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So to finish up, I have one last question, and it would definitely be around offering advice for potential listeners of the podcast that are thinking about going to university and maybe fall into that category of being interested in media and music and entrepreneurship and innovation yeah. and things like that, how would you encourage them to explore their creativity and explore these areas? Yeah, so I think essentially the idea of STEM is quite mature. And so uh, I know there's people been talking about STEAM quite a bit. And, and I think this idea of STEAM where we include art into this uh, narrative is really, really important. So. I think the opportunity around these kind of broad cross-functional teams where we come up with a crazy idea and then we execute it is really where the opportunity is. Let me give you an example. Do you know what Steve Jobs studied at university? Oh, I've read his autobiography or his biography, but I can't for the life of me remember what it was. Calligraphy. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay, that so, makes sense. Yeah. Perfect example, right? He's not a technical guy. Mm -hmm. And so I think if students who think divergently or who have a background of uh, creativity appreciate what the opportunities are going forward, I think that that would be very, very helpful. So
So we're looking for the crazies that think outside of the box yeah. that yeah. maybe want to combine all of these things. Yeah, and want to participate in the narrative of the world that's unfolding. Yeah. To have them feel like they are participating in it, that they have a place in that. And in fact, that there's more demand than there is supply, but they have to become part of that conversation. That's very cool. And I think maybe how you've explained that you aren't afraid to make mistakes will kind of encourage the students that you are involved with to feel the same because nothing's ever going to be yeah. a perfect A to well, B to you C. Know, and I say this to students a lot and because I've been very fortunate to work with best of breed people for uh, decades, really. So I'm wired a certain way <laughs> in, a, in a sense. Um, nobody that I've met that's at the top of their field wants to be told they're good. Very they true. all want to know how they can be better. Because telling somebody that they're good, it doesn't provide any value to them at all. They want to know how they can improve. And that's a very healthy way to be. And so I think students shouldn't feel badly when they have criticism or when their work is critiqued because we all want to improve. I think that feeds into that A-type personality where complacency is not an option. You're always wanting to do better and be better yeah. and go harder and I guess make yeah, I'll just, just leave you with a book that was written about 20 years ago called Revenge. Oh, well, sorry, pardon me. I think it's an article now. It's called Revenge of the Right Brain, which mm -hmm. was in Wired. You can look that up. And there's a, there's a book called The Rise of the Creative Class. So these are books that were kind of predicting years ago where we would end up. And this is where we are now. We're kind of at the beginning of this um, expansion of the ways in which we can leverage creativity in the world that's unfolding. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tom. This has been absolutely enlightening for me and potentially for our listeners as well. Um, so thank you very much for participating in the podcast. Today. My pleasure. Thank you. So we're just back for a little aside, um, chatting about when you potentially get asked, if I do this degree, what job am I going to get out of it in the future? And at this point, it's one of those situations where it is how long is a piece of string. It depends on your area of interest. It depends on the opportunities that are out there. So what kind of feelings do you have about that situation? Yeah, so uh, I just to bring together some of the things that we were talking about earlier, Steve Jobs' background was in the arts. I've been a CEO for three decades. My background is in the arts. So leadership is an obvious one. The ability to see across ideas uh, and bring a team together. So there's another book, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called the, it's about, it's called the generalist or something like that. Anyway, there's this idea that the, there's a tremendous value in being able to see the big picture and bring ideas together. Another thing I just wanted to mention is that, you know, STEM is actually quite mature. So if we're thinking about doing simple coding, a lot of that simple coding is going to be done by AI. So uh, we need to be mindful of the opportunities ahead. So I think this ability to think divergently, to have emotional intelligence, to leverage the soft skills that people in the arts are typically good at is, is where the opportunities will be. So I don't think people should be as 
worried about that, but rather see what their opportunities are in the narrative of the world that's unfolding, rather than thinking them as separate from that narrative. Absolutely. So if you're doing a science degree, you're not necessarily going to end up in a lab coat. It could be something completely different. Right. One of the things that I try and explain when speaking to future students is you potentially do start a degree assuming that this is the career that you're going to get into at the end, but what if something sparks your interest whilst you're studying? and changes the tra trajectory of your career completely. I mean, you've mentioned the word serendipitous yeah. so many times in regards to your career. What yeah. if something the exact same happens well, to these students? there's a book written by Jacques Attali, who was the former economic advisor to François Mitterrand, called Labyrinths. This idea of Occam's razor is a very recent idea. The shortest distance between two points isn't always the best answer. In fact, the answer is obviously very often very labyrinthian. When we're on the internet, we start looking for one thing and we end up somewhere else, right? It's a lot of <laughs> You're speaking about people who watch TikTok for hours yeah. and YouTube videos yeah. for hours, absolutely. Right. So this labyrinthian process is actually built into who we are. And it's actually been around a lot longer than this Occam's razor deductive idea. If you can let go of that a little bit and be sensitive to the natural innate abilities that we have to be a little more labyrinthian, a little bit more flexible, you might start to see the doors open more. Absolutely. I think maybe relaxing some of that control that people feel they need to have on those future concepts exactly. will help them maybe even just acknowledging and noticing those opportunities that come their way. Exactly. Right. If you're not walking around with your eyes open, you might not be able to see them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Maybe sometimes it works out that picking that career that you want at the end of that particular degree might work for you. But most of the time, I mean, university as an entire concept is something that will challenge you and, and make you see things differently and really open your eyes to the different experiences that you can have across the world. So how can you then pigeonhole yourself with that career at the end if you're not going to, I guess, acknowledge those opportunities and really, I guess, Exactly. And that's, that's the, the course that I was teaching earlier called the RCC French Masterclass, which is now essentially a part of this capstone, is all about that. And it's about purpose, values, passion for what you're interested in and bringing those all together in a way that aligns your values, passion and purpose in a meaningful way. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Universe. Catch us next week for more information about the University of Adelaide.